Good morning, friends. This psalm, um, Psalm 34, hit me hard this week. And let me, let me explain it this way. I think I've shared before part of my life testimony as a kid growing up in the church. The psalms were special because they were short. And you can read them at home and get through things and get back to TV or baseball or whatever, right? For after family worship and, and, uh, you know, when, when my parents would say, you know, did, did you get to read your Bible today? I would say, yes, I did. I read the Psalms and, you know, the Psalms are easy, somewhat easy, right? To kind of get through. They don't have long, long narrative chapters and so forth. And so I'm f- very familiar with many of the Psalms. But this is what I wanted to let you know. This week, the Lord did something in my life through this psalm. After all these years, this chapter came out at me like a lion. It grabbed a hold of my heart. There are moments of tears. There are moments of being overwhelmed. There are moments of just, thank you God for the treasure of your word that is Deeper than I ever thought it was. That's what the Word of God is. It, is. it is not only good for instruction and correction, but it is a treasure for us. The more you dig, the more you find. And you, you know what you see? You see the face of God. You see the love of God in the person of His Son, Jesus. And so that is why we, as a church, Trinity Press, wants to put the Word of God as the central point of our worship. And that is why Mr. Moffat and Mr. Cobb spent their time in saying, you know what, even visibly, there needs to be a place for the pulpit and the preaching of God's Word. I know it's just a little visual thing. We can preach without a stand or a pulpit, but it's right in the center Because God's Word is central for us. So I just wanted to say a few words before we jump into Psalm 34. Jenny, thank you so much for reading Psalm 34 out loud for us. And I'm going to do my best. This is is, um, what I have to tell you. We cannot cover all of these verses in this short time. There's 22 verses. I, I feel like I can take about five at a time and just try to do justice in 30 minutes or so. I can't, I can't really do justice to the whole chapter, but there are, there are certain verses and certain sections that I do want to highlight for you today. Now, I'll, I'll begin by asking a question and then we'll pray. You know, do you have troubles and afflictions in your life right now? I bet you do. I bet you're here right now worried about something. You're already thinking about how to fix it or who to call or what to do about it. This psalm is really all about trouble and yet trusting God in the midst of that trouble, in the midst of your afflictions and your problems. We cannot pretend that our lives are perfect. They aren't. So why do people in the church act like everything's great? Everything isn't great. We live in a broken world and even our own lives are broken. We need to be more transparent with one another and say, I am messed up, but thank God He is helping me. My professor at seminary 
Mr. David Pallison had a little girl while I was in while I was there. She's a grown woman now with her own children. But little Hannah used to say something all the time that David used to share in class. Hannah used to say, yeah, it's been a hard day, but Jesus is helping me. And David used to tell us that all the time. Jesus is helping me. And Jesus is helping you. He will. That's His promise. That's why we can trust Him. Because Jesus is helping me. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for this morning and for the time in Your Word, for the music, for those Scriptures, for the prayers, for the opportunity to be in this building uh, with freedom to worship. Lord, we love You so much. Thank You for loving us first. I do pray that You would give us new and fresh eyes to see Jesus again. And it is in His name we pray. Amen. Yeah, I've, I've had a hard week. One of Jaya's and my friends that we first met when we moved to Dallas, we were newlyweds, a young woman um, who was in choir with Jaya. Some of you probably know her, so I'm not going to mention her name, but she lost her husband this week. So our age, after a heart transplant, was brokenhearted about her and her children as I think of my own. And I was thinking, what's that going to be like now? And yet, you know, her testimony, her words, even a few words, were that of saying, but God is here. And God is good. And that's really what this psalm is about. You know, the very, very well-known verse is, taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. And our, our friend, that is what she is trusting in. Listen to this. This is from church history. Modern church history. Listen to this. Having lost in a fire virtually everything they owned, the Spafford family made new plans, including a move from Chicago to France. Horatio Spafford planned the trip for his wife and four daughters to be as trouble-free as possible. To transport them from America to France, he booked passage on a huge ship and made sure they even had Christians with whom to fellowship en route. He planned to join them a few weeks later. In spite of much careful preparation, Mr. Spafford's plans suddenly dissolved when the ship carrying his loved ones was rammed by another vessel and sank, carrying his beloved wife and daughters to the bottom. Anyone who has ever had their plans disrupted by the hand of God can understand Mr. Spafford's plight. The next time you are, you know, able to look at this great hymn named It Is Well With My Soul. Realize that it was penned weeks later as he was on a ship and going right over the spot where the other ship sank with his beloved family on it. Is it well with your soul? even in the midst of your troubles that you have right now or the problems that you're dealing with. And so let me share with you 
a few things from Psalm 34. The context is this. It is from David, and it's actually written based on the stories in Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 21, you can look that up. Um, David had not yet been crowned king. He was being hunted by the current king of Israel, you know, a man named Saul, who had power and resources and was jealous and angry at him because the crowds were singing, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. 1 Samuel 18. And Saul's blood was boiling with anger and he was trying to kill the son of Jesse, this upstart champion who killed the the Philistine named uh, Goliath. So Saul sent men to Dave, after David to kill him, but the men loved David. So in a moment of rage, you know what Saul did? He launched a spear at the young man. David narrowly escapes and flees. And he then finds himself running. And he runs to Philistia. He runs to the enemy territory, the enemy towns, and actually goes to the hometown of the great champion Goliath whom he defeated, almost as if, I can't be at home, i got to run somewhere, and maybe people have forgotten about me. And he goes to a place where he thinks King Saul will not look for him, which is Gath and Philistia, enemy territory. But this is what happens. He runs into the hands of Achish, the king of Gath. And you know what? I don't know why in the world David would run to Gath. We don't know the exact reasons. But he may have been thinking, well, things have died down. People may not remember me, but they did. They recognized him. There were probably soldiers around and said, that looks like that young man who did this and killed our champion Goliath. And people were beginning to say things and so they brought him in before the king. And do you know what David did? David, in a moment of not knowing what to do, probably cried out to God, God, how am I going to get out of this mess? And he pretended to be insane. He was drooling. There was spittle on his face. He was scribbling on the walls. And the king, believe it or not, fell for it and says, I've got enough crazy men of my own. I don't need another one. Even if this is the guy who killed our champion Goliath, I have enough crazy men, men who are mad out of their minds in my own ranks. Get rid of him. Get him out of there and David escapes. David is free. And after leaving the city, he runs back out into the world, still afraid of of Saul. And he writes, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Now, things weren't good, right? (laughs) There's still problems, right? But you know what's happening right here? David is in the moment, in the day. And he's saying, Thank you, God, for delivering me from this. For answering this prayer. For giving me grace now. For helping me live today delivered from his fears. And you know, um, this is really what we see. David is rejoicing in that moment for that day's grace that was shown to him, celebrating the grace of God for this answered prayer. Now, if you understand the story so far, you know that he had a thousand other problems than King Achish, right? Still running, 
still afraid of Saul. In fact, there are so many other things that are happening around him, including his family and friends captured in a raid, and then his own people turning on him to stone him to death, First Samuel 30. And so we can really kind of understand David's not really out of problems. He's not completely safe. He's not fully delivered from everything he feared, but he knows that God has delivered him today. He has the eyes of faith to see that God is sovereign and gracious and He has freed him. And so he gives thanks in today's deliverance, today's victory, today's mercy, even though there are troubles up ahead and he knows it. He knows tomorrow is going to be full of them. So here's questions for you. Are you rejoicing in today? Daily grace? Honestly, seriously, not worrying about what's waiting around the corner tomorrow and the storm of troubles that's waiting for you, which you know are there. But do you kind of take a moment, as David did in Psalm 34, and worship the God of sovereignty and wisdom and power who created the world and governs the universe and He cares for the daily needs of His children? Do you hit pause? Do you stop and rejoice with the eyes of faith by seeing daily grace from a sovereign and gracious God? Or are you a complainer like me? I don't have a moment. I don't have a moment to take, you know, to give thanks to God because I'm still worried about all those other things. Would you just take a moment to listen to Jesus' words in Matthew six thirty one to 33 which we went through not too long ago. Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And how about Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, where it reminds us, God's mercies are new every morning to meet us, even though tomorrow's troubles are lying ahead. You know what David's modeling for us, friends? Stopping in the midst of all the uncertainties and troubles, in the midst of the distress, and seeing the daily grace. And saying, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Rejoice today. For this, this answered prayer, taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you, do you get my point? Today's the gift. God's presence today with you is the gift. His love for you and His answering and caring for you and providing for you and watching you today is the gift and what we need to rejoice in. Well, I'm going to go through um, some of the sections very quickly, uh, as quickly as I can, just to give you some of the highlights. Here are four things to understand from Psalm 34. One is, you're going to suffer. You're going to have afflictions. You're going to have problems because that is the lot of the human life and more so for the Christian. Did you hear what I said? More so for us who are followers of God. Because that's God's plan. 
to make us holy and happy. Two, while we're in the midst of our suffering, don't slack off. Don't grow spiritually apathetic. You know what the Lord wants us to do in the midst of our suffering, our pain, our afflictions? He wants us to do good. Do good. So that you might see good days. So you might live. So you might experience God's faithfulness. Thirdly, do you believe God will rescue you? Absolutely. How much will He rescue you? Fully. Finally. Resoundingly, He will rescue you. And we'll look at that. And then the last couple of ideas are that we are to celebrate Him and most especially because of His Son, our Lord Jesus. So let me just quickly go into these four points as, as, as much as I can summarize them. Listen, prepare for affliction. Do you know that First Peter um, actually quotes some of this psalm in in the in in this in his writings uh peter the apostle um quotes it in first peter let me get to this um in first peter he quotes parts of this uh in verse 10 i'm sorry verse chapter 2 verse 3 if indeed you have tasted that the lord is good Peter says, as he speaks to those who are having trouble, the Christians uh, around him, the church was under lots of distress when Peter's writing to the church. Then he quotes again in chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, and this is a direct quote from Psalm 34, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I think there's a reason why Peter is quoting Psalm 34 to the believers who are in distress. And you know why? It's because there are going to be problems in his day, in David's day, and in our day. And Peter, the apostle, is quoting as if to say, listen, there are going to be all kinds of hard times and afflictions. And he quotes it by saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Peter alludes to um, the psalmist and says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, uh, appealing to the hearts of the believers who are experiencing all kinds of difficult things in bad times, as if to say the Lord is good. Trust Him against all odds, even when there doesn't seem to be a way out. When things are bad, taste and see that the Lord is good. Peter is writing in light of Psalm 34 and it's still useful for us today. So, just a few things. Listen, Jesus says to His followers in John chapter 16, verse 33, in the world you will have tribulation. The Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 14, through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God. 
In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, You yourselves know that we are destined for this, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. And not just some affliction, many afflictions. Listen, this is probably something you understand, but you need to hear again. Our pathway to glorification is through suffering. It is through sanctification. It's through a process of affliction and troubles and pain while we're in this life. But there is a difference between the wicked and the righteous. This is what verses 21 and 22 say. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the life of His servants, and none of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. You see, for Christians, our afflictions and problems, though they are going to come, and though they will be many, are for a different purpose. Remember when we were studying James? I told you that the trials of various kinds come to us not to destroy us, not to ultimately defeat us, not to wipe us out. It's for an altogether different purpose for the people of God. To purify to make us holy, to make us hold on to what's most important and not these frivolous things that are here on earth. It's for a different purpose. But for the wicked, affliction will ruin them. But for the righteous, affliction will make them. And it has a humbling effect instead of a hardening effect. Listen, I read this this week and I'm going to say it to you so you can hear it. Being God's people, the righteous people, and by the way, that doesn't mean perfect. It it means holding on to God's promises and His covenant. Being God's people, the righteous, is not a promise of everything going great and ease on earth. So what are the righteous? Who are the righteous? Who are described as the righteous? I'm going to go through some things that are listed in Psalm 34. So, Just pay attention. If you need to write down something, write down the verses or the words. Verse 2, they are humble. Let the humble hear and be glad. Verse 5, they are those who look to Him. Verses 7 and 9, those who fear Him. Verse 8 and 22, those who take refuge in Him. Verse 10, those who seek the Lord. Verse 14, they turn away from evil and do good. Verse 18, He calls them brokenhearted and crushed in spirit brokenhearted and crushed in spirit because the Lord is especially close to those who are brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. Listen, are you crushed in spirit? You brokenhearted about something? We all have something. We all have something that we're crushed by and that we're just brokenhearted about. And in those moments, sometimes we can't even tell another person. Maybe you can't even say it to the Lord. But He is especially near and close to the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. That's who the righteous are. And so, as verse 19 makes very clear, God's people are going to suffer. Secondly, we're not supposed to slack off. We're not supposed to get spiritually apathetic. You know, you know what I'm meaning by this is we kind of think, well, wait till I get through all this mess and then I will serve. 
Then I'll do good. Then I'll go back to church. Let me get through this financial crisis. Let me get through this family crisis. Let me get through all of the troubles that are here. But, But did you remember point one? Not only are you going to have afflictions, but you're going to have many afflictions. And if you're going to wait till they're all done, you'll be dead. Our whole lives are going to be filled with pain and sorrow. You know, I, I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago. I was thinking, it's not just enough for me that I'll be okay. It also matters to me what happens to my kids. It also matters to me what happens to my wife and my parents and my church people and my friends. When is there not going to be death? When is there not going to be pain? When is there not going to be a problem? There will always be all of those. And yet, the psalmist is saying, in the midst of all those things, I can taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah, I can rejoice in today's daily grace. But, you know, one of the themes that goes through all of this psalm is the idea of waiting. You know, First Peter, again, Peter, who used Psalm 34, says in chapter 1, verse 6, Now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You know what that kind of means? That you're going to have to go through it for a little while. First Peter, chapter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. You know what that means? You might still have to wait longer. There's going to be a time when the Lord's going to bring you through it. It may not be today. First Peter 5.10 After you have suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So, I'm going to give you two clarification points to the idea of afflictions in our life. Problems in our life. Troubles in our life. One is, it's not a promise of immediate rescue. God's not saying... Oh, you pray today? Okay, tomorrow it'll be all over. It's not a promise of immediate rescue. Secondly, affliction and suffering are not excuses for evil or slacking off in our pursuit of doing good. We're not allowed to live in that anxiety, live in anger or spiritual apathy. It's not an excuse for doing evil. It's not a reason for God's people to act like the devil's people. Affliction is not an excuse for gossip. Or I said sinful anger. Or being apathetic. It's in the midst of this to do good. And let me say it this way, okay? So you can hear it. Affliction is a fresh call on your life to do good today. Because the Lord is with you. The Lord has daily grace for you. He is daily listening to you. And cares about your problems. And answering your prayers whether you realize it or not. It is a call to God's people for the opposite of spiritual apathy. It's supposed to ring in the ears of God's people to do good all the more. And how does it say? To keep our tongues from evil and our hearts from unbelief. So, not only do we face many afflictions and wait 
in those afflictions, but to do good while we wait. Thirdly, and this is an important point, so I'm going to take a couple of extra moments on this. Because this is where Psalm 34 jumped hard at me. I'm going to probably have to get away from my notes so that I can summarize this well for you. Does God really rescue you from all your troubles and all your fears? You know what the answer to that is? Yes. A resounding yes. But remember that it's not always in the timing of and the way that you think. God rescues His people fully and finally. In Psalm 34, did you notice all the times it has the word all or none or never? Okay, listen. I will bless the Lord at all times. He delivered me from all my fears. Their faces were shall never be ashamed. God saved him out of all his troubles. Those who fear him have no lack. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The Lord delivers the righteous out of all their troubles. The Lord delivers the righteous out of all their afflictions. Verse 22, none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So does the Lord really deliver us from all our fears and all our troubles? Now you might be thinking, how can that possibly be true? Delivered from all our fears and all our troubles and all our afflictions. Well, the answer is in verse 22. And I'm going to have to look at that and read that for you. I'm sorry, verse 20. 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. 20, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. I'm going to have to give you um, just a quick uh, sort of summation of my understanding of bones. You ever thought about bones in the Bible? Interesting, isn't it? Isn't it interesting that it comes up all over the place? First you have bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, sort of like talking about humanity and, and how God has really, you know, uh, put us together and we are rela- relationally built and, and things like that. But bones can also mean the deeper sense of who you are. You know, like, I feel it all the way to my bones, the psalmist sometimes says. But let me, mention a few things here just so you can just so you can hear it in the books of Genesis and Exodus Exodus we hear about the bones of Joseph do you remember that the bones of Joseph now stay with me for a moment the bones are sort of the remaining parts after the flesh has rotted right after you're dead right the last remaining part of the body. But it also, as I said, refers to the deepest part of our humanity. So, the book of Genesis ends with Joseph making the sons of Israel swear to bring up his bones from Egypt to the promised land when God delivers them. And when Israel makes the exodus, the pledge is fulfilled. That's Exodus 13.19. 
This is what it says. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. But the book of Joshua also talks about Joseph's bones. Listen to this. Joshua 24.32 As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought. Then it shows up again in the New Testament. Hebrews talks about the faith of Joseph in making Israel swear to carry his bones. Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones And Hebrews 11.22, in the hall of faith, we have Joseph because of this request about his bones. How is it an act of faith? Well, just before the mention of Joseph's bones in Exodus 13, if you're still with me, in Exodus 12, there's instructions about the Passover lamb. So, Exodus 13, Joseph's bones, Exodus 12, this is what it says, It shall be eaten in one house, meaning the Passover lamb. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. Exodus 12.46, Numbers 9.12. There is something sacred about the bones. But the picture isn't fully complete yet. Now, fly with me to Ezekiel 37 and a vision of dry bones. A valley of dry bones. The bones being the remaining part of the bodies that once lived, they represent death and yet not full and utter devastation. So something remains, right? These bones, these kept bones, if you will. And God tells Ezekiel to prophesy and flesh returns to these kept bones and breath returns to the restored bodies and an army of God's people is raised from the grave. So listen to this. Flesh comes back. Breath comes back. People are resurrected into an army of God's people again. And in other words, intact kept bones, unbroken bones. By the way, That doesn't literally mean unbroken. It means kept together. Not scattered away. Not taken away. They represent the hope of the resurrection. That God in His perfect timing will reassemble bones, restore flesh, give breath, and bring dry bones back to full life with resurrection power. Do you know what I think the writer of Hebrews is trying to say about the faith of Joseph? That he knew that one day when Israel leaves and goes back, when the people of God go back, he will be resurrected. He is going to live again because God is going to restore. Now, come back to chapter 34, Psalm 34. He keeps all His bones. Not one of them is broken. I don't want you to miss this. Friends, do you know why we can trust God in the midst of all of our afflictions? Because God has an eternal plan for you to resurrect you. God has a plan to give you back life and flesh. No matter how horrible you think your life is right at this moment, in the midst of all these problems, there is resurrection hope for us. Because 
God is keeping you and your bones. But do you notice that it doesn't mean no death? Because bones only come after death. (laughs) And deliverance doesn't mean there's no problems because you first have to have a problem to be delivered from the problem. Right? Do you see the hope and the trust that David has here? So it's an absolute and resounding yes. Let me just end with this. The ultimate singer of the Psalms is none other than the most righteous man who was Jesus Himself. And when Jesus was on the cross, there was a moment that John's Gospel says not one of His bones will be broken in keeping with the Scriptures. Do you remember that part? Basically, it meant that in the crucifixion, almost every person's bones were broken so that they could not lift their bodies up on the cross and get more air so they would die sooner. But when they came to Jesus, Jesus had already decided His moment of death because He holds life. And Jesus gave up His life already. And by the time the soldiers came to Him, they did not have to break His bones. And just like the ultimate Passover lamb, His bones were not broken. And so there is a clear picture of looking back to that moment on the cross. And this, I'm over time, but I can't miss telling you this. Listen. Romans 8 ends with these words. And you have to hold on to this if you're a believer today. Because I know what some of you are going through. I know some of the afflictions. I know some of the heartaches. It makes me having no AC for two weeks look like nothing. You know, that's sometimes what we think our problems are. No AC or no comfort. But some of us are going through things that are so deep and we're having a hard time rejoicing and saying, magnify the Lord with me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Listen to what Romans 8 says. Just a couple verses. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And then, verse 22, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Do you know why you can rejoice today? Because He did not spare His own Son. In fulfillment with the Scriptures, He was crucified and did not spare His own Son because of His love for you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. My brothers and sisters, as the final application question, can I ask you this? Do you really think God's going to drop you right now? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave the most precious one He had for you all, do you really think He's not going to see you through? Do you really think He's not going to love you? Do you really think He's not going to provide for you? Do you really think He's not going to see you all the way through that illness and that problem? The challenge is this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Look to Christ today. Let's pray. Father, thank You.
for just how wonderful and magnificent You are. Lord, You're great, You're glorious, and we often make You to be small. Forgive us of that. And Lord, my prayer for everyone here is that we would taste and see that the Lord is good because You are keeping us intact to resurrect us for a better day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.